Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, come on, LifePoint Church. How are we doing this morning? Oh, come on. We can do better than that. Who's excited to be in the house of God this morning? Thank you guys so, so much for joining with us today. For those of you who are in the room, for those of you who are watching with us online, thank you so much for choosing LifePoint Church. We're excited to have you here with us today. If you don't know who I am, my name is Andrew Garcia, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at LifePoint Church. Our senior pastor, our lead pastor, Danny Rivers, is taking a sabbatical this month. This is his time to kind of rest reset, recharge, get some clarity on what God has for LifePoint Church through the next season that we're going to be entering into. So if you've never heard our pastor speak, you are missing out. I'm telling you, he's down to earth. He's hilarious. He will bust out a knife at some point. I promise you, it's Texas, so it's totally okay. But uh, it's, it's an incredible thing to hear him speak. So come back in August. He's going to come out strong. I believe it. And as you consider him, please, please, as a church family, let's rally around our pastor, his family. Let's pray for them. Let's cover them in prayer, believing that God's going to do incredible things through them. So we are continuing our series gym class. And we are talking about James the just. And I'm not going to lie to you. This is today's, the word that we're going to hear today is so straightforward and I've made it, but it's, it's so deep at the same time. And so I've kind of made this as lean and mean as I possibly can, because there's so much to what James is about to say, even though it seems like it's such a clear message. And so you might want to bust out some notes today and pay attention to the words that James is saying, because they have huge implications for the life of believers. And over the last several weeks, James has been sketching out this moral map of wisdom for those who claim the Christian faith. That when it comes to navigating faith, James has been preaching we need to maintain and keep the highest standards of moral teachings and demonstrate following Jesus by embodying the righteousness and wisdom of God. We demonstrate following Jesus by embodying the righteousness, big word for us today, and wisdom of God. This is the kind of living that's going to mark you and enable you to be a witness to your community and to the world. And so I want to capture what James is saying, walk through why he's saying it, and then talk about what we are supposed to do about it. Because I think many people believe that God is real, without a doubt. Yet so many lives would lack the fruit to back that up. And James is saying, if that's you, if that's me, this should trouble you. So let's lean in and let's see what he has to say. The passage of scripture that we're going to be reading today is known as faith without works is dead. And so I want to set the foundation for us because James says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So faith, if by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now this might rub some of us the wrong way. Because if you've been in church for any length of time, if you've listened to messages, you would have also probably heard the words of Paul. And Paul taught this message. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So what's James saying? 
James is saying if faith doesn't have works, it's dead. And Paul seems to be saying faith alone justifies you without works. What's going on here? When Paul talks about works and how works will not save you, he's emphasizing the works of the law. When James is emphasizing works, that works are essential, he's talking about the works of faith, not the works of the law. So Paul and James are approaching two very different audiences with very tailored messages. Paul has been charged to take the the gospel, the message of Jesus, to the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish, those who would not have a faith foundation, people who would just be starting off their journey with Jesus. And Paul knows that when we first encounter Jesus, when we first come to faith, the forgiveness of God is such a big and radical idea that it can be so hard to wrap our minds around. And so Paul wants new Christians to know the forgiveness of God, his grace is free. And man's only job, his only responsibility is to accept the forgiveness which God offers him in and through Jesus Christ. And this is huge. Because Paul is breaking down justification as righteous status. Justification as righteous status given to us through a legal lens. Now, that seemed, again, thinking hats. This is a massive statement. But James is preaching and teaching to professing Christians, the ones who claim to be walking in the forgiveness and a new relationship with God. And for these individuals, James is saying, you must live a new life as new creatures. You've been justified. Now show that and walk out a sanctified life. And James is breaking down justification as righteous behavior through a relational lens. This should, it blew my mind. If it doesn't blow your mind, I'm telling you, this is huge because why, why does this matter? Because justification is the act of declaring someone in right standing. Justification is all about reconciliation with God and reconciliation with others. This is big. And the difference between James and the difference between Paul has to do with their starting point. Paul is saying there's a foundational truth that forgiveness of God is a gift from him to you that you can't earn or deserve. And James is saying to professing Christians and insist that man's faith is revealed by his works. Paul points to the root and James says, now the root should should reveal and bear fruit. We're not saved by works, we're saved for works. Faith is the cause of salvation, works are the result of salvation. And so James and Paul, they're not contradicting each other. (laughs) They're actually complementing each other. And they would both agree and they would both say that the word of truth brings salvation and transformation. The word of truth brings salvation and with that should come transformation. All right, so the foundation's set, right? Maybe we've eased a little bit of tension. So let's look at what Paul, what James is really saying to professing Christians in James 2, 14 through 26. And I wanna pull these verses apart piece by piece. And so he starts. What good is it, my brothers, If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? 
If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James is giving us three things. He's asking a question. He's giving us an illustration. He's answering the question. What's the question? Let's look at it again. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? You notice how James is framing the question? He's anticipating a negative response. He's setting it up. What good is it, my brothers, if someone has faith but does not have works? Maybe it'd be no good. Can that faith save him? Well, I guess not then, James. So then he gives us the illustration. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And here he is, back to the same point where he's giving us a practical illustration expressing how powerless, catch this, words can be. How powerless words are. Because if you see someone who needs food or material needs, and you say to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled. What does that do for them? It does nothing. Does that take care of their need? No way. And the question that James is challenging us with is, so why then do so many of us who call ourselves Christians do the same thing? Because whether we mean to or not, we judge others. And that judgment was reserved for God, and he's trying to reconcile us to him so that way we can express and be reconciled to others through love. And James is saying, your profession of faith should result in a practice of faith. Your profession of faith should result in a practice of faith. Our words by themselves accomplish nothing. If we're in a position to help someone with their physical needs, we say we want to, the only way to prove it is to do it. That is his entire point. Our choices reveal our claim. Our actions, we've all heard this, our actions speak louder than words. And the clearest identifier of faith, at least for me, is shown in how we rub shoulders, interact with, engage with, experience others, those around us. Like imagine your best friend walks in, right? And he's all, you know, he's got a little, he's got a little walk to him. You know, he's all grinning, you know, ear to ear, a little doughy eyed, right? He's all in love. It's funny how we get all bashful and bold at the same time when you get into love. You ever notice how people do this? But it's funny what love will do to someone, right? And it's not that they talk a good game and it's not that they've pulled out all of their stalker cards, right? And they know all of their friends and family, right? That's not what shows us love. Like, that's just creepy. But it's when they begin to take steps, to acknowledge that love to the person, they actually start to talk with that person. They begin to build a relationship with that person. They spend time together. That love is revealed. It's not the claim that reveals love. It's not what they say. It's what they do. Now, remember an anchorman, because how can you not bring up anchorman? When Ron is explaining to his, his, little, his boys, Brick, Champ, and Brian, what love is, in the scene, Ron screams, I'm in love. And Brian replies, 
he shuts the door. They all lean in, and he's like, what is that, Ron? What is, what is love? And Ron, the, the, you know, the, the, the man that he is, leans back on the desk, and he's like, it's hard to explain. And Brian says, I think I was in love once. And Ron's like, OK, what was your name? And Brian says, I don't remember. <laughs> and Ron looks at him and says, that's not a good start, but keep going. To which Brian recalls the time that he made out with this woman in a bathroom stall in Kmart for hours, not a life point approved exercise. <laughs> then Brick starts looking around the room. And if you remember this scene, I love carpet. I love desk. To which Ron looks at him perplexed and is like, Brick, are you just looking at things in the office and saying that you love them? And then it heats up. Brick is like, I love lamp. Do you really love the, the lamp, Brick, or are you just saying that? I love lamp. I love lamp. Who would have thought Anchorman had a spiritual purpose behind it? But it does. Because Ron is trying to explain to Brick, it's not about what you say, it's how you do. That's literally the conversation he just came out of. And this is important, surprisingly. Because there is nothing more dangerous than the repeated experience of a fine emotion with no attempt to put it into action. There is nothing more dangerous than the repeated experience of a fine emotion with no attempt to put it into action. That's heavy. Every time we feel a noble impulse and fail to move, we are less likely to do it the next time. And James, anticipating what we would say next, right? Because James knows people and people are always looking for shortcuts. We love to be critics. You notice that? He continues. But someone will say, well, you have faith. I have works. And James would say, I'm going to stop you right there. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. As a matter of fact, I'm going to double down. You believe that God is one. That's great. You do well. But even the demons believe and they shudder. So do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Do you see what's happening? The critics want to divide faith and works. They view faith and works as alternative expressions of the Christian religion. As if to say, come on, James. One man can have faith. The other can have works. They're both perfectly acceptable manifestations of real religion. And James is saying, no way, Jose. He's not letting it slide. You cannot have either faith or works. We need both faith and works. This is the partnership of faith. Faith is not simply some mental assent. It's not something that we just decide in our minds. Faith at some point has to sink into our hearts. Living faith is acting on the thought through principles on which our works will be founded. Living faith is acting on the thought through principles on which our works will be founded. Otherwise, as James would say, it's good that you believe. It's good that you have faith. But if you simply have faith, my man, my woman, unfortunately, you're on par with the demons. Because even the demons know that God is real. But their response to his reality is to work against him. 
The faith that saves is a faith that embraces the truth of the gospel and acts accordingly. A faith that saves looks at the gospel and acts accordingly. And then James tells us what the proof of faith is. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And this is brilliant. Because James knows that Abraham is considered a hall of fame faither. Like his story is well known. And James is saying, how was Abraham justified by faith? That's what he's asking them. And he's leading them by the hand. When he offered up his son Isaac, which was a pivotal point, a moment in Abraham's story. And James would have said, okay, you got that. We're on the same page. That's true, but let's go a little deeper. Because you see, Abraham was not saved by his obedience to be willing to sacrifice Isaac. Rather, that obedience proved the reality of who had his heart. God, the one who saves. And Hebrew 11 records, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. What Abraham did, his response, his work revealed where his heart ultimately was rooted. And if you read the story, Abraham does not always get it right, but we see consistent action that reflects righteous behavior. Faith is not believing in spite of evidence. Faith is obeying in spite of consequence. Faith is not believing in spite of evidence. Faith is obeying in spite of consequence. And that is a tension for us, isn't it? And this is the point that James is making. This is the point he's trying to hammer home. It's not just about faith. It's not just about words. There has to be action. Genuine faith works. And the proof that Abraham believed God is seen through his actions. Genuine faith and works are inseparable because genuine faith always results in good works. And James could have stopped here, could have dropped the mic, could have walked off. He probably did at some point. This guy's pompous. You can read it in the thing, but for good reason. But he doesn't. He continues. And in the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? In the same way, means Rahab was similar to Abraham in a very important aspect. Because she, like Abraham, was shown to be righteous by what? Her actions. Her faith was demonstrated by receiving the spies and then risking her own life to protect them. And James is saying, 
Her actions was the proof that she was truly a believer. Did she sing some good song? No. Did she attend church? No. She backed up what she put her faith in with action. Not to say that going to church and singing songs aren't important, but it's not just that. And it's intriguing to me that Rahab, like Abraham, that James frames this question the way that he does. It's almost like he's baiting and challenging us into an argument to consider the meaning. Because consider, how, how does he describe Rahab? The prostitute. James is not minimizing her immoral past. Now, why would James illustrate this point this way? This is important. Because in the case of Abraham, it would be easy to just believe and assume that because he was a good person, of course he would have good works. But in Rahab's case, the prostitute's good works would hardly be expected. In James, James's juxtaposition of biblical characters is his way of saying that from the best to the worst of saved sinners, good works are still an expected fruit. And the good news is that God is not going to hold our past against us. He's not trying to categorize our sin. God wants to know, will our belief in him be proved by our actions? And we can't miss that. That her, and what's incredible about this is that her faith in God, a God that she chose to believe in, was expressed when she also was willingly willing to lay down her life for people she had just met. That's a love that makes absolutely no sense. It's a love that recognizes that it's not my country or my countrymen that I owe my allegiance to, but the one whose image I bear, whose image is that it's God's. And what do we see constantly being affirmed in scripture? Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. And what is she doing in a moment? She's expressing her faith in the truest expression that was asked of her. And remember, what's crazy about James's words is think of all the time that James spent with Jesus. He was his brother. He was always around Jesus. I think there's a time when he would have recalled when Jesus makes a very similar point. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the, mouth, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. The illustration of the tree reminds us that fruit is always true to its identity. An apple tree produces apples, not oranges. A good person produces good fruit, not evil. And believers, while we can sin, the witness of our words and works should be consistently good to the glory of God, moving, reforming, an expression of righteous behavior. And what's crazy is what does Jesus say next? In John, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. 
He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers, and such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. What is Jesus saying? The first thing that I would pick out, and I don't know who needs to hear this, but you are cleaned. I don't know how you've walked into this place today. I don't know what brokenness weighs on you, but somebody needs to hear me. You are not your past. You are not what has been done to you. You don't need to carry the shame. The damage done to you, the damage done through you, it's okay. God has grace and love and mercy to accept you just as you are. There is nothing that you could do that could ever separate you from his love. He loves you so much. And the words of death that you speak over yourself, he doesn't view you that way. He doesn't speak to you that way. He wants you to know you are connected to him. And he is the peace to the whole that you have. And he wants to make you whole. Don't be held back by the lies and the brokenness that Jesus doesn't hold against you. He sees the potential and the promise. But we have to learn to abide in his word. And his word contains life and it levels us out when it gets hard to walk. When it's hard to see the light in the circumstance that we're in, with the diagnosis in that relationship with our kids. God is there and he's with you through it, but we have to remind ourselves, we remind ourselves when we get planted in his word. Don't let God's word sit on the shelf on your nightstand. Don't go a day without opening it up and letting his word put seeds into the soil of your heart. And we need to know pruning, this is so, this is such a big deal. Pruning is a process. Because so many of us in here are carrying around this dead weight, weight that we were not meant to carry from relationships, from the choices we made, from a life lived, from damage done to us, damage done through us, attitudes we've let fester, thoughts we've let linger, hopes we've let die. 
And God wants to cut off what is dead to help new life be able to come through. He wants us to bear the marks of life, but he cannot do that if we don't let him. He cannot do that if we are not willing to let his work in us come through by his word given to us. This is why God's word as a mirror is such an important concept for us to understand. God's word reveals to us the spaces of our lives that we need to address with him. For some of us, that's unforgiveness, anger, lust, pride. There's a root that needs to get pulled out. And some of us need to let God go to work in our thought life. We have to be careful what we let our eyes behold. We have to be careful what we let sit in our mind because desires will run our imagination if we are not careful. We must live our lives intentionally and that is the hardest part of faith. But the fruit that comes from faith requires work on our part. And when we don't set time aside to pray, to read his word, to abide in his presence, to do life with other believers, we are missing out on the life that comes through him. And the good news for you and for me is the smallest investments in the right places gives us the greatest return over time. Small steps cover more ground than we could ever imagine. And the good news is that conformity to God should lead to works over a period of time. I'm not sure if you know this, but most fruit-bearing plants require years of pruning before the fruit is right. Most fruit-bearing plants require years of pruning before the fruit is ripe. That should give somebody a sense of encouragement right now because too many Christians give up too soon, too quickly. We want everything now. We want to microwave faith in God. is all about the process. It's a pace. It's slow. It's intentional. It's methodical. There are times when God can come through miraculously, when we would sink if he did not, but most time he is walking us through faith. Slow down, slow down. Don't rush the work God is trying to do in you, that he's trying to work out of you. It will be worth it in the end. But we need to be aware that the fruit confirms the root. The fruit does not contain life. The root brings life through the tree, through the branch, which bears fruit. Fruit confirms that what we are connected to is life. Is your life bearing fruit? Is your life bearing fruit? This is the question that James is challenging us with. This is why Paul writes in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, but the fruit of the spirit, he's defining it for us, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Catch this, against such things there is no law. Where is the fruit born? 
The fruit comes from the Spirit. What is the Spirit? The Spirit of God that rests in us when we choose to follow Him. Why is there no law? Remember what Paul said? When we choose to believe and follow Jesus, we, be, we stand in right standing regardless of what we've done, of who we are, the past that we walk in, if, in with, where normally the law would reveal our deficiencies, our brokenness, our inadequacies, there stands Jesus in the gap reminding us that we can express and have goodness because of what he has done on our behalf. He has reconciled our relationship with him to God and now we can express that reconciliation to others. Paul was pointing to the root, James is pointing to the fruit, righteous behavior that we grow in partnership and empowerment with God's presence, the Holy Spirit in us. This is why behaviors, if you were to define behaviors, literally, behaviors are the way in which one acts or conducts oneself, especially towards others. Our faith makes itself known in how we respond to God and how we act towards others. Understanding what God has done for us should be reflected in how we live our lives, reconciled to him and expressed in love towards others. And James brings it to an end. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The body without the spirit is dead and does not move, it does not act, it cannot live or work because it is empty and because it is empty, it is totally useless and worthless. And just like faith without works is empty, useless and worthless. No one will ever be moved to action without faith. And no one's faith is genuine until it is moved to action. Action, faith and works are the expression of what we believe to be true about God in our lives. We need to be careful that our behavior does not contradict our belief. The root produces the kind of fruit that it is and faith without fruit is faith without root. Faith not accompanied by action is useless, dead, and unable to save. That is what James is leading us towards, a profession of faith. It should result in practice through our words and our work, pruning of the dead weight that holds growth back and produce from the fruit of the Spirit, God's Spirit, reflecting our alignment to God and that expression to others. This is why the psalmist wrote, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. The psalmist asked God, he extended this invitation. I need you to come in, help a brother out, because there are things that I know that I am missing in my heart, in my thought life that are not aligned with you. And I know that above all else, I want to be with you forever. Help me. Help me see it. Help me correct it. When was the last time that you asked that of God? When was the last time that you asked God to help you evaluate your heart and the fruit that comes through your life? God has so much more for us. 
Don't live life dead. Don't live life just believing there is a, a work that he wants through you, that he wants from you. There is fruit that comes for that. Can we bow our heads and pray? Heavenly Father, God, we stand before you, God, this morning. God, some of us in desperate need for our heart to be realigned with you. God, some of us, we're all words, we're all talk. But that's not, that's not the life that you have for those of us who claim to follow you. There is more. There is a work that you have saved us for, a work that you are wanting, that you want to do through us. God, help wake us up to see the dead weight in our lives that you have been trying and trying to cut off from us, but that we are refusing to let go of. God, help us to walk in new life, to let our life bear the marks of the fruit of the Spirit working in us. God, we need you. God, stir up our, a passion for you, a hunger to know you more. Let us pursue you with everything that is in us as we seek to know you more, as we seek, God, to bear your image right. In Jesus' name we pray. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.